everyone, and welcome back to Sachs' Essay Today podcast. My name is Michelle Botcher, and I'm an associate professor at Clemson University. I'm also your host for this program. Today, I'm very pleased to host a discussion with the outgoing and incoming editors of the College Student Affairs Journal. Dr. Dina Neese at the University of West Georgia and I are the current editors, and beginning in January, Dr. Mary Alice Varga, also at the University of West Georgia, and Dr. Ryan Miller at the University of North Carolina Charlotte are the incoming editors. Additionally, Dr. Mickey Fitch Collins is the new editor for text and media reviews. Welcome everyone. Before we start our conversation, I like to start each episode and kind of get to know a little bit about you um, and who you are outside of your jobs, outside of work. So if you could each tell us, meaning me and the millions of listeners that we have to this program, a little bit about who you are when it comes to hobbies, interests, things you're reading, watching, or listening to, um, anything you want to share about your life outside of work. And Dina, if you wouldn't mind getting us started, that would be great. Um, hello, uh, my name is Dina Neese. And I am associate professor and director of the higher ed EDD program at the University of West Georgia. In terms of things I like to do outside of work, I enjoy photography. Um, over the, the break, I had a chance to go see my nephew's um, foot. Um, he's 11 years old, so I don't know what kind of league you call it but I was taking pictures of his game and then just, you know, some family photos as well. Um, so I also like uh, running when I get to do that again after my, um, after uh, my one fracture heals a little bit more. I enjoy that. And in terms of things that I'm reading and listening to, I'll say for fun reading, one book I read um, over the break was The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. Um, and it's kind of, uh, it's a wonderful life piece meets a library where you can look and check out different books and see what lives you could have lived. So I enjoy that. And I also started, I think I'm late to the game on this is watching the chair on Netflix just to see, I like different shows like that. So those are a little bit of things I do um, outside of work, outside of grading and all the other fun stuff. Great. Thanks so much, Dina. Mary Alice. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. Um, so currently, most of my hobbies center around my small children. <laughs> For example, the audiobooks I'm listening to are helping me figure out how to not be a horrible parent um, and to also help me figure out how to help my two little girls not be so um, rivalry or rivalry in their sibling. Um, but for myself, I'm getting back into running. So hopefully I'll be able to catch up with Dina soon. And I've started yoga, which I'm actually really enjoying. I also watch a lot of horrible reality television to help me escape and be super entertained. I have not been able to watch the chair because I'm in an interim chair role right now, and it's just a little too close to home. So I'm just defaulting to my million dollar listing in New York and Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, which have no, no bearing on my real life at all. Awesome. And is um, How to Not Be a Horrible Parent, is that the actual book title? Because if not, it should be. <laughs> 
I think that's just, yeah, um, it should be. It should be. That's what I see every time I, I read every chapter. <laughs> Maybe it's a genre. That yeah. could be. Great. Thanks so much, Mary Alice. How about you, Ryan? Hi, everyone. Uh, this is Ryan Miller, and I use he, him pronouns, and I'm at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte, where I am program director for higher education and also assistant professor. And I should say before I talk about hobbies, so I am up for tenure and promotion this current year, which is exciting and will hopefully have a good outcome. And what that means is when I get a question about what I do outside of work, I'm like, hmm, what, what do I do um, outside of work? Because um, obviously this past few years, it's been a lot. Um, I have a, a cat who is circling my desk and I know this is a podcast, so, so no one will be able to see her. But Kit Kat is a large, um, fluffy orange cat who makes an appearances in a lot of Zoom meetings these days and has been on the tenure journey with me. Um, I will say that I, I love to travel. And so obviously the pandemic has, has gotten in the way of that. But the silver lining for me has been um, getting to explore some places closer to home, some shorter road trips in North Carolina. And um, I feel I'm, I moved to Charlotte about five years ago. And so feel very fortunate to be situated kind of in the middle of there's mountains if I go one direction, the beach in the other direction. And I love both of those options. And while I am outdoors, I also enjoy reading. And it's been, um, I, I've used reading as an escape in addition to reality television. And so um, I've read a lot of Stephen King's catalog uh, during the pandemic. I'm not ashamed to admit it. Um, and uh, sometimes I think books are what Stephen King writes about. Sometimes it's less frightening than if I um, get too sucked into current events and, and the news and things like that. Um, so I think that's, um, you know, often you can find me uh, outdoors on the weekend with a book in my hand. Um, that's, that's sort of my happy place. And running to Dina, it comes and goes for me. This morning I was able to have a run. So uh, it's a good day. We're off to a good start. Excellent. And depending on which Stephen King book you're reading, that probably keeps people away. So you get some solitude in the moment as well. Great. Thanks. Absolutely. <laughs> How about you, Mickey? What's your what's your world look like? Yeah, absolutely. Hi, everybody. My name is Mickey Fitch Collins. Um, I have a little bit of a, a different uh, path in life right now. Um, I work for a company called Zybooks, um, which uh, is part of the larger organization of Wiley. Um, a lot of folks in the education world are familiar with Wiley as a um, publishing company. Um, and I, I have the good fortune of working remotely from northern Wisconsin, where I live, where you can probably hear that in my voice. Um, so I am just rubbing my hands here to stay warm as, as we're headed into our, you know, six to nine month winter season. Um, so uh, what am I reading and what do I do in spare time? I think similar to Mary Alice, um, I am a new parent. Parent. Um, my daughter just turned one. And so um, what I'm reading is things like The Very Hungry Caterpillar. Um, and that's not my monster. And that's not my kitten. Um, times about 15 times a day. Um, so, uh, But what I am personally reading, um, I love reading about people's routines and kind of productivity and um, efficiency and stuff like that. And so um, I've been reading some books about kind of enhancing morning routines and evening routines. Um, partially out of the, you know, taking better care of myself and, and health and wellness, um, but also just trying to kind of be a better partner and be a better parent and, and all that sort of good thing. So um, 
Other hobbies I have, um, I got into roasting my own coffee last year. I, I was gifted a coffee roaster for Christmas, um, and that is super fun. I'm a huge coffee drinker, and so now to be able to roast my own coffee and kind of learn about some of the science and some of the flavor is really interesting. I'm still not a snot about it, except for the fact that I just cannot drink like commercial coffee anymore. It just does not taste like good to me. Um, but I'm not like, oh, notes of burgundy or anything. <laughs> So, um, yeah, and I love to fish um, I, on, on open water, which is pretty limited where I live. But um, when there is open water, I am trying to get outside as much as possible. I live right on Lake Superior. Wonderful. Thank you, everyone, very much for that. So now, how about the career you and sort of what, what have your journeys looked like and gotten you to where you are today? And this time, Mary Alice, if you wouldn't mind starting, you know, how you, how'd you get into student affairs, um, your involvement with SACSA, and we always talk a little bit about how student affairs is such a small field and everyone knows everyone. So sort of as an opportunity for listeners to connect, if you wouldn't mind talking about a person or some people who've been kind of instrumental in your experience working in and around higher education, that would be great. Yes, absolutely. As the case probably for many student affairs folks, my journey began in residence life and housing. As a resident assistant over 20 years ago, I had to take the calculator out just to double check that. So 20 years ago, I started as an RA in Funkhauser, loved it so much. Um, then I worked as a housing coordinator after I graduated at a small private, then uh, was a resident director, worked at a um, regional mid-sized institution while I was working on my master's degree in college student affairs. So I actually changed my major from biomedical research in graduate school to college student affairs. Um, and that was really, uh, that was really at the encouragement of a lot of my mentors um, and some of my really close colleagues in the field who encouraged me to follow my passion. So, and it was actually my master's program that I found my love for teaching and research, which prompted me to seek a degree specifically in educational psychology and research for my doctorate instead of higher education administration or college student affairs. Uh, but my research still focuses on emerging adults in college student populations. So my interest is really across the lifespan though, which is when where educational psychology comes into play and how experiences with life and death and trauma impact us as children who are then emerging into adults in college, then in adulthood and professionals where we're at now. So I like the big picture piece of that and looking specifically at those transition points like in college that can really um, determine a trajectory of individuals' experiences. So my first SACSA conference was as a graduate student in 2010 at the Panama City Conference. And from then on, I was really hooked. That was one of the first conferences I had attended alongside my new husband at the time and a lot of my friends. And it was one of the smaller ones. So I had been to like the NASPOs and the ACPAs, but there was just something very different about SACSA in the conference and just the intimate feel of that. So I immediately became involved in everything 
from the research and assessment committee to helping judge the student case study competitions um, and have just kept going on from there. So I would have to say there are so many people that have been instrumental from, you know, Dr. Joe Buck to Tony Coffin, you know, Jane Adams Dunford. I mean, all over the place, people have really touched me and helped shape me in a lot of different ways. Um, but the two people that were truly, truly instrumental um, were Dr. Clarissa Morton, who has been in SACSA for many, many, many years. And honestly, my husband, Matt Varga. So he's been in higher ed. He's a past president of SACSA. And honestly, without those two, I'm not sure I would have followed my passion into this profession and with SACSA organization um, that has really shaped me both personally and professionally. Great, thank you so much. How about you, Ryan? Sure, so I uh, was an undergraduate at UT Austin, hook em horns, I always have to get that in. And I was a first generation college student. Of course, I had, I wouldn't be able to tell you at the time what that term meant, uh, but I, I reflect on that now and that I think being a first-gen student informs a lot of what I do in higher ed and student affairs and the kinds of questions that I ask. And I feel like I take nothing for granted in higher ed because of that experience. And I, I had great experiences getting involved quickly as a student leader and activist on campus. And uh, really a lot of LGBTQ student organizing was, was my entree into a lot of that. Uh, then sort of broadening to larger equity and diversity um, initiatives um, at UT and, uh, you know, being in a lot of protests, being in a lot of meetings uh, where a lot of the activism, you know, happens in different forms. And, and I was sort of hooked from there. I, I was studying journalism and education. And so I was kind of like, should I be a full-time journalist or should I become a high school teacher? Uh, those were paths that I looked at. And then this is where mentorship comes in. Uh, a mentor who worked in student affairs, uh, Dr. Mamta Akapati, uh, said, you know, you, you could work on a college campus. Um, and I, I thought at the time that was a very exciting idea. And so, so Dr. Mamta Akapati, um, so she was um, at the Multicultural Information Center at UT Austin, is now the senior student affairs officer at the University of Pennsylvania. And, and a giant within our field, rightly so. And she was actually, she introduced me to NASPA and to, um, she was my enough mentor. Uh, so the NASPA Undergraduate Fellows Program. And, and so I learned so much from her. Um, and, you know, there were all of these great folks at UT who, who mentored me. Another was um, Michelle Rosal, who was the director of the Gender and Sexuality Center, the founding director of that center at UT Austin, and who taught and is now in a senior position at Columbia University. Um, and, and a third one is Teresa Graham-Brett, who was the Dean of Students uh, at UT Austin at the time. And she was teaching intergroup dialogue. And I had learned a little bit about that at New Student Orientation. And that was another, I, I took the course. I then took every intergroup dialogue course that I could. And I thought it was amazing that at a university of 50,000 students that the Dean of Students herself was, was teaching, was co-teaching this course. And, and I, I learned so much. So I have to say, I have been very fortunate to have been mentored. The, the three folks I named, um, incredible women of color um, in particular and, and leaders who I'm, I'm really indebted to. So I benefited from that so much. So I was on this path then for higher ed and student affairs. I got my master's in higher ed at Harvard. 
And I had a wonderful experience, but I, I joked at the SACSA conference a few weeks ago that outside of my brief stint in Boston for my master's degree, I've lived and worked in the SACSA region in the South my entire life. Uh, so I joked that I sort of came to my senses um, and said, I need to go back to, to a warmer climate. Um, that sort of suits me a little bit better. So after my master's, um, had student affairs and DEI related posts at the University of North Florida in Jacksonville. And I was director of the LGBT Resource Center there. Um, and then had an opportunity to go back to UT Austin and work for the Vice President for Diversity and Community Engagement for a few years. That's also where I uh, then earned my PhD before coming, um, going on the faculty route at uh, UNC Charlotte. So despite my extensive time in the Saxa region, um, my more recent involvement with the College Student Affairs Journal has actually prompted greater involvement for me within SACSA, which I'm very excited about. So my very first SACSA conference to attend was a, a few weeks ago in Norfolk, and it was my first in-person conference since the pandemic started, and I think I made a really good choice for that to be the first one to return to um, just such a warm, um, you know, inviting environment. There was great faculty programming. It was great to connect with, with old colleagues and friends and make some new ones. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely hooked on SACSA now. Beautiful. Thanks, Ryan. Mickey, a lot of people don't realize that Wisconsin is in the SACSA region, but it is <laughs> a, a satellite state for the region. Oh, so. thank you for adopting me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I, I have kind of a different uh, uh, avenue into all of this stuff, but um, but first my story. Um, so so I got involved in student affairs because um, I was the naughty kid in the residence hall. Um, so, you know, I was that um, first year student that like, you know, September, October right away was breaking policies, doing all sorts of stuff, you know, came from a pretty rigid household. And so when I got to college, just kind of went nuts. Um, and so I developed a deep, meaningful relationship with my hall director very early on um, and uh, was presented um, in mid-October um, with a path, um, a choice that I needed to make. One was here is your contract cancellation form where you are being booted off campus and you'll still need to pay for your residency for the first two years because um, that's the rule I went to uh, University of Wisconsin students points so Wisconsin has a, a two year residency requirement. Um, so I had a choice to make between contract cancellation and or you become your floor governor so part of the residence hall association. Um, and my hall director said, clearly you have a lot of social influence and sway um, to be able to uh, gather individuals and encourage them to do things. So maybe we just need to channel your energy in a different direction. Um, and so I did the, the residence hall association thing um, and then decided, um, you know, this is actually pretty cool. Um, and uh, they give you money and let you uh, essentially plan non-alcoholic parties. And that's pretty cool stuff. Um, so I said, yeah, let's let's do this RA thing. Um, became an RA. Um, and uh, the first week of being an RA was when September 11th happened. Um, and that um, was an absolute, um, like many people, um, but a, a very absolute pivotal um, moment in my life because that uh, changed what it meant to be a community builder and a community supporter for me. Um, you know, the training and all of the things that we had, um, you know, I, I, I 
I don't want to minimize what that training was like, um, but the training certainly did not prepare me for supporting a group of my fellow college students um, through something like September 11th. Um, and, and I also share that because, you know, I think uh, my, my generation of people is probably the last group of students that went to college saying, I'm going to do ROTC as a good way to get college paid for, and that's going to be that. And I went from having a floor of about 80 individuals um, to having a floor of about 30 individuals and um, on a routine basis, um, learning about folks being uh, killed in action over the next couple of years. And so that really changed what I thought I could do as a community builder. Um, and I, I was a psychology major and um, it was headed in the direction of corrections um, and was working um, in a halfway house that was connected to the county prison um, where I went to school and really enjoyed the corrections route. Um, and then um, the residence life people said, you know, we work at the university. There are jobs for people that do this work at the university. Um, maybe you ought to think about this, you know, as a master's opportunity instead of going, you know, corrections and, and you know, continuing that route. Um, so I decided to do that. I went to Minnesota State University, Mankato, um, loved that program. It was uh, kind of a 50-50 counseling and um, higher ed program, um, which is rare and becoming more rare um, these days. And I'm incredibly thankful for all of the crisis and um, counseling skills that I built from that program. And in fact, one of my um, greatest mentors, Dr. Jackie Lewis, um, has been at that program for years um, and uh, has, has been a life changer for me. Um, and I, like others, you know, did the residence life thing for some time. Um, I crossed over into uh, kind of educational support um, uh, for a while and academic support. Um, and then um, most recently um, was uh, at the chancellor staff level as a, a divisional head for student success and kind of oversaw um, all things retention, student support, um, uh, student intervention, things of that sort. Um, and then knew I needed to make a change. Um, like a lot of people, um, the last couple of years has um, really uh, brought some things to light about what we need and what we want and what we're willing to do and what we're not willing to do um, and where our values are. And I realized my values are much more um, aligned with the educational technology world um, and kind of the educational startup and all of all of the companies and organizations that help support our universities because um, we, we think that they run independently. But you have learning management systems, you have data management systems, you have all of the textbook publishers, all of those sort of things. Um, and so I've uh, made the leap to, to join the Wiley family and um, have loved that, that sort of work. Um, I, different from other folks, I am not connected to SACSA in the sense of connecting, you know, at conferences and all of those types of things, um, but I'm really uh, part of the journal. And for me, staying connected and being part of the journal board, um, uh, that, that to me is ongoing professional development with every article that you can read and, and being on, on the back end of things. Um, keeps you fresh and keeps you engaged um, with what is going on and what people are interested in and how to help, um, especially our younger professionals, um, frame their research um, and uh, uh, speak in uh, an academically intelligent sort of manner. Um, and I, I never thought that I would be that type of person that wanted to do that until I went back and got my own PhD um, and realized, wow, I really enjoy this APA stuff and I really enjoy digesting research and reading it and talking about it with people. So um, yeah, so, so that's, um, that's a little bit about me. Wonderful, thank you so much. And Dina, how about you? Okay, well, 
my journey is a little bit in terms of getting involved or realizing that student affairs was something that you could do because nobody tells you this, you know, as an undergrad. I started out um, in student activities um, just as an undergrad student being involved in the student programming board. Then I kind of, I said, I kind of sampled a little bit of everything throughout my time as an undergrad at Slippery Rock University. Um, in Pennsylvania, it was a small regional college, but it was ideal for me in terms of getting involved. It wasn't too big. I was an orientation leader, and then I became an RA. Um, decided after that, I wasn't ready to go straight into a master's, so I still did what I would call as like higher ed work. I was a chapter consultant for an honor fraternity, so I got to travel and visit chapters at different areas of the United States. Um, specifically, it was actually, ironically, it was the southern part of the United States, a little bit in the North, Midwest and Northeast. Um, then I went back uh, for my master's degree again at Slippery Rock and was a hall director there. Um, I, I enjoyed it and uh, similar to Mickey a little bit, one of my, one of my experiences as a hall director was at, during 9-11. Um, this is, you know, you're getting ready to job search and trying to support students during that time. Um, it was very, was very interesting in terms of where they were at, but also too knowing that you, I, I was reflecting on it a couple of weeks ago, um, especially when you had the one of the flights, uh, flight 93 crashed down in Shanksville, which was not that far um, from Slippery Rock. It was probably about an hour. Um, so supporting students during that time and looking at, I keep on thinking of Mary Alice's work, like grief and trauma, like, and everything, just how, how that all comes together. So um, after that, I spent five and a half years in residence life between Ball State University and then University of Delaware. Um, and uh, during my time at the University of Delaware, we were doing the curricular approach to residential education. So that was new, but it was also an exciting time to see how you could um, really structure residence hall environments um, in terms of the learning opportunities available. Not that they all weren't already learning, but just being putting more of a framework to it. After that, I went to Clemson and I uh, worked in what was then new student and sophomore programs and it was, became student transition and family programs. And I think that office has since changed and is in two different areas right now. But I really, that's where my involvement with SACSA started. Um, I think it was, I decided during my time as a doctoral student, I don't remember what SACSA conference was my first, whether it was Atlanta or one before that. Um, but I remember Bo Seagraves was the president of SACSA at that time. And I was encouraged to get involved by Pam Havis and Tony Cawthon, who were two of my mentors who had shaped my time while I was at Clemson. And that's where I found SACSA very welcoming, especially uh, Jane Adams Dunford, uh, Joe Buck, a lot of different individuals. And one of the things I always appreciated about SACSA was just the diversity and um, in terms of experience, in terms of social identities, in terms of um, just just being able to be there. So I just I just really I really enjoyed that. And then I found my way of involvement in research and assessment committee as a reviewer for dissertations and then eventually on the journal. So that's kind of what shaped it. I just like the whole idea of the community feel of SACSA. Um, that's something that's just always resonated with me um, 
at the conference. Wonderful. Thank you all very much for kind of setting the stage and um, providing a, a snapshot of your own experiences. Um, Dina, I'm going to stay with you for a minute. And so you and I started about the same time, I think, as reviewers. I would also blame Tony Cawthon for my involvement. I mean, credit Tony Cawthon with my involvement with the journal. Um, you know, having been a reviewer, then an associate editor, and now editor, what are some things, just observations about where the journal is? Are there things that you're particularly proud of that have happened um, in the past few years as an editor? I think um, we're at an interesting point, I think, with the journal. And I think, you know, the group as a whole has helped to shape that because I'm trying to think back to when I was a reviewer. I think at that point we had just finally moved. I think it was Brian Bork and Aaron Huey who were editors at the time moved it into having Scholastica, which it was, I think, a huge help in just being able to, you know, streamline the process of submission. But I think in some things that are finishing up, um, we actually had, I think, our first graduate student scholarship published. This may have been in the fall of 2019 um, in the edition once we had once we had decided that we were looking at graduate student submissions and then also having a meet somebody to do with Mickey uh, media reviews and coming on we've been thankful so thankful for that and also our first upcoming special issue um, this summer, which will be with uh, Ryan and Mary Alice. And this is on the scholarly practitioner work. So I think the journal, one of the things is it's, it's not only has a regional reach, but also a national reach as well in terms of the scholarship that comes in and from very diverse viewpoints. Um, the other thing that's very exciting too is I think this upcoming year, we will be have a chance to be bundled with other journals um, too, when they're soliciting, you know, different libraries. So depending on who we're bundled with, that would give some more exposure um, to the journal. So I think I think we're in a, a very unique and like um, probably interesting spot right now, just to be poised to take it further too. So and I think that's taken, you know, a that's been a group effort. Yeah. Yeah. I would, the only thing I would add, I think you chose excellent highlights. Um, I'm just really proud of the collaborative and developmental nature, uh, the approach that we've had as a, a team, the five of us with our authors. Um, you know, we've all probably experienced the reviewer number two, you know, who's like, this is horrible. And do you know APA is a thing? And it's like, thank you. That is so helpful to me taking this work forward. Um, but I really have enjoyed working with authors. And, um, you know, if, if CSAJ has not been the right outlet to try to still encourage them to consider some other options. And, um, you know, I do feel like a lot of times when we're in conversation with one another, this comes up, but it just really has been a pleasure to work with this team. It's, um, it, it's just, it's nice to work with nice people, you know, so that's uh, pretty profound, I realize, but 
uh, it really does make a difference in, okay, now I need to go in and kind of see what's, what's in progress. It's not a painful thing. You know, it really is a joy to see what people are writing about and, and foster the opportunity to share that across the profession. Um, Mary Alice Ryan and Mickey, I know each of you spoke to this a little bit, but I want to give you a chance if there's anything that you want to expand about in terms of your own, like we all have dozens of things, and I'm rounding down when I say dozens, that where we could be giving our time or projects we could be taking on. What has it been specifically about this opportunity and the journal that you're like, nope, that that's something that I do want to participate in that is a place where I do want to spend some of my professional time. And again, I know some of you addressed this, but if there's anything that you might like to add. Yeah, um, I'll say when the call for associate editors was made in 2015, I felt I had sufficient experience publishing at that point, being on the tenure track. I was familiar with the journal through my work with the research and assessment committee. So I was encouraged by my mentors to apply for the associate editor role and went for it. So trustworthiness and professionalism are two really important factors for me in journal activities. I've, I've served on a number of review boards and in various editorial roles and have actually you know, resigned from some <laughs> due to just um, things that I, I didn't feel comfortable doing. Um, so, but, but the College Student Affairs Journal was very different. And um, the, one of the aspects that Michelle had mentioned, those developmental opportunities was really important to me. And so recommending other journals for, for authors, if, if our journal is not the right fit, providing constructive feedback and um, even just connecting people. Sometimes I'll put in citations of articles that I've come across that you know, might be helpful for them, whether it's methodological or content related. And um, so just over those, those years, I have continued to feel that the College Student Affairs Journal is a trustworthy and professional journal with the goal of supporting and mentoring. And, you know, Ryan and I will probably share at some point, you know, about incorporating more graduate students, you know, more developmental opportunities, early career folks um, who are early in the tenure track, folks who are tenure, trying to get on the full professor track, you know, trying to really help folks wherever they are in the trajectory of their career. And then finally, I would say the balance of rigor and support and the collaboration that Michelle had mentioned have really what been what's kept me with this journal for eight years almost now, seven, eight years. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of what Mary Alice shared resonates with me and, and I had always thought highly of the journal and that increased when I became a reviewer and, and board member some number of years ago for the journal that it was definitely a constructive place um, where you could get good feedback that would actually help you to publication. And I, I then as an author on a piece for the journal more recently, I, I got to see it from that angle and um, compared to other journals, and I won't name names, but it, it was just a great process. I, uh, the timeline was good. There was not a, not a substantial lag to publication. There was really helpful feedback. So I was able to see, see it from that angle as well. 
And I think beyond that, I was really interested in sort of seeing the big picture. Uh, so I had been on several other editorial boards and, and am, I am on several, but I wanted to see, you know, what happens after that review is submitted or how did that review, how did that assignment even make its way to me? Right. So I wanted to see how those decisions were made and um, was fortunate to be able to get involved as an associate editor and have thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, I will say, Michelle and Dina, y'all are two of the best editors to work with as an associate editor. You make life very easy for everyone around you. And I, I think um, you just run a really great team. Yeah, I, I would echo what Ryan and Mary Alice said is, you know, the um, having experiences of being on other editorial boards, um, there's there's conversations that happen over email with this crew, and that doesn't occur um, with other boards that I'm on. And yeah, that collaborative nature, real humans engaging with one another. Um, I, you know, very much appreciate, you know, hearing these things and seeing these things about trying to um, really involve younger and earlier career professionals. Um, I think, you know, we all know all of the varying, you know, staggering statistics about how many people leave the field, you know, so quickly. And obviously right now with the great resignation, and I mean, there's all sorts of people that are, are running screaming from student affairs right now, um, especially based on the last couple of years. Um, and, and finding a place where they can engage in scholarship, I think is really important. Um, because I think in a lot of ways, it's a chicken or the egg sort of thing of, well, you can't say that you've done it until you did it. But if you don't have a place that you can do it, how do you get to do it? You know, um, and so I think there's a lot about engaging in the journal that um, gives people that that place to find a home for publication. And um, again, that that constructive real life feedback from people who have been there and done that, I think is, is really important rather than just a yes or no, or this is horrible, you know? Um, and I, again, I, I don't see that with um, many other journals. So that um, always makes me re really, you know, feel really good about engaging with this journal. Wonderful. So Ryan and Mary Alice, as you look forward, you know, you've talked a little bit about um, engaging more graduate students and uh, newer faculty and professionals. What are some other pieces of your vision as you beyond figuring out what buttons to click and you know the logistics of Scholastica and all of that? What are what are some hopes or some things you might like to explore through your work with the journal? Yeah, so first of all, I'm thrilled to work with Ryan in our one-on-one -on -one conversations already prior to stepping into the editor role. We're already working well together and finding that we really do have similar goals and visions for the journal. And once again, thanks to Michelle and Dina for really setting the stage for a lot of this to happen. So the, a lot of the logistics we're gonna be learning, but I feel like you two have really gotten a lot of the kinks you know, out of the road and helped us learn Scholastica over the past couple of years. So we can jump into this and actually really pursue some of these. Um, and so one of our shared goals is expanding access and reach. So the authors in our journal are sharing fantastic work that we know could be more widely disseminated through so through um, early online you know access publishing and um, some other efforts you know that Ryan will talk about via social media we're just trying to really get the great work out there to a larger audience 
Definitely. I, I agree, Mary Alice. And yeah, I think we're, we're really fortunate to come in at this time because I think that the journal is in such a good place. Um, so I think, of course, we'll, we'll get our feet on the ground and, and make sure the next issue gets published. Um, but, you know, beyond that, as, as Mary Alice was saying, you know, I think further enhancing the visibility and exposure and reputation of the journal. And so I, I would love to see us do more on social media um, to do that, which I think also helps authors to get the word out there. Um, Mary Alice mentioned online first, and I think it's a, it's a good problem to have that as we have more interest from authors, you know, more interest in publishing on the journal that, that our, our next issue and next two issues start to fill up quickly. So I know we're gonna explore that. Um, and then also I think, you know, this, um, the, the special issue that is gonna come out this summer has, um, or, or this next year, uh, has been a great process. And I think that um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see more proposals for special issues like that. And I think all of that, it, that's also more opportunities for leadership and involvement for, for you know, scholars and practitioners in the field. So I think um, very excited to, to get, our, get our hands dirty and um, also get some of those initiatives off the ground in the, in the coming year. Awesome. So I, I didn't, when I was putting together questions in the script for this. I didn't want us to um, miss out on the opportunity to encourage people to consider submitting to the journal. And, um, you know, Mickey, if you don't mind, I'll start with you as the, uh, you know, text and media editor, what, what have you seen in looking at reviews what makes a good review? You know, if someone has seen something or read something and they're like, you know, people should know about this, what advice would you give to them? Yeah, yeah. So a, a couple of things that I jotted down when I was thinking about this is, um, first of all, I, I think doing a, a text or a media review um, and submitting uh, submitting that to the journal is, is an excellent um, either first step or kind of repeat sort of thing for somebody to actually get their work and their words out there and, and published. Um, so I would uh, really encourage anybody who's maybe like having a little bit of cold feet of like, I don't know if I can do this whole publishing thing. This is a great place to, to do it um, because you, the essence of your work is reviewing other people's work. Um, what makes a really good text um, uh, or, or media review, in my opinion, um, is the relevance and the applicability of it um, to our work. Uh, you know, it, it's one thing to read or watch or, or consume of a piece of media and say that was good or that was bad. Um, it's another thing to say, well, this is why it was good or this is why it was not so good or this is where it missed something or, or anything like that. Um, I think that probably in every single one of my reviews, I'm commenting something about context and applicability, um, either that, you know, hey, you really nailed it about how we can do this in our work, or you really need to extract this out a little bit further. Um, because I do think there's a fair amount of folks that when they're, um, you know, reading through a journal, they want to be able to see themselves um, and see their work in what they're reading. Um, so that applicability piece, I think, is really important. I think the other thing is that um, remembering just because somebody publishes a book or, or pushes a piece of media out there or something doesn't necessarily mean that it's good stuff. Um, and so feel free to 
say that in your review, you know, that, gosh, this really missed the mark, or this, this didn't include voices that needed to be included, or this, this didn't include perspectives that, that should have been at the table. Um, you know, I, I think some of the best things that we have out there are when people say, hey, I'm, I'm putting my hand up here and saying that, that this was not okay that this author took this stance or that they, they eliminated this voice or, or whatever. Um, and, and I think the, the other piece that I would just kind of leave with this is um, a lot of folks, you know, we talk about professional development, and I think people have very specific ideas of what professional development is or isn't. Um, the book that you may have on your nightstand right now or on your Kindle or whatever it might be could be professional development. And it all depends on like, what is it that you are engaging in and reading and how might you apply that to your work? You know, a lot of my greatest inspirations um, for how I've uh, uh, created my career and, and the things that I've kind of built myself off of come from the world of um, tech and startup and, um, you know, efficiency, effectiveness, sort of, you know, hacking sort of things. That's not higher education stuff, but I have taken that and I've applied it to my work and, and um, helped other people apply that. And so I would encourage folks to kind of look at your bookshelves and, and look at what you're reading and say, like, is there is there voices and perspectives in here that maybe other folks that that work in student affairs and higher ed could benefit from or could take this work and, and bring it to their work? Wonderful. So you don't have to go out and find a book that has student affairs in the title in order to do a review that could really be useful across. Absolutely. In fact, I think that the best things to do is to look outside um, of our field a lot of time to say, like, what is it that's going on in the world around us um, that, uh, you know, we, we need to keep relevant. And we we are part of the microcosm of education that functions as, as our society. So why aren't we looking for influences um, for what we learn and what we read and, and how we do our work? We should be looking for that from other places. Absolutely. Wonderful. Um, Dina and Ryan, I know that you all just I guess it's weeks ago, but barely weeks ago, um, presented at the SACSA conference about the journal, things that you wanna share to highlight either from the presentation or um, conversation that came up during the session that you think might be helpful for people to hear? Sure, so yes, we had a great time at SACSA and we had a wonderful session and I was I was struck by the group in the room. It was a it was a good group of it was everyone from you know grad students who are who are thinking of what is this whole what is this journal about and how do I get involved um, to sort of senior scholars and practitioners. So it was a really nice cross section, and um, you know we we talked about sort of what's coming up next for the journal and where those opportunities are. And I think one of my takeaways was just. I think it's important that we always reiterate that um, this journal and, and not just this journal, but I think this journal in particular has such a focus on connecting research with practice and being relevant to the practice of student affairs. So I would just say, I, I think the session affirmed for me, you know, this is not just for faculty or for researchers or those who call themselves scholars, um, but we love involvement and article submissions and reviews and everything else from, from everyone in our field, right? From graduate students to practitioners to folks who are in, um, you know, as Mickey has brought up, who are in sort of the higher ed adjacent and, you know, the larger higher ed ecosystem. That was another thread of conversation at the conference too. So I think I would just reiterate that. 
I would, would agree with what everything that Ryan had said too, in terms of the cross section and also just reiterating that commitment on, you know, not only the scholarship, but the practice, like how do we, how, how can what we're taking and looking at our review process, because that was like a lot of the conversation, how does it enrich the conversations um, around scholarship and practice or scholarly practice or scholar or theory to practice. So I think that was one of the main benefits too, um, as well, which was very enjoyable. So if I'm listening to this episode right now and I, I decide, you know what, I have something that I think CSAJ might be the right outlet. Um, what are your thoughts? And this is open to anyone about what should that next step be? Should I finish my manuscript, upload it and wait to hear? Are there other um, <clears throat> steps that I might take to sort of explore CSAJ as an option? What are your thoughts about potential authors who are considering this as an outlet? I always tell folks first and foremost to go to the website. So check out the website, read the mission of the journal, read the instructions and um, that, you know, that mission of that journal will tell you right away sometimes um, if your work is a good fit or not. And then if it's still looking good, look at a few articles, recent articles from the past couple of issues and, and get a feel for that. If you want to try to publish something quantitative, look at some quantitative articles, qualitative or book reviews, check out just a few different types and see. Uh, and then if you still have questions, email us, email us and share your topic or can hop on, you know, Google Meet or Zoom or something like that to talk through it a little bit. And if our journal isn't a good fit, then we can talk about maybe some things that are a good fit or some other outlets that would be good options. I would echo all of that. And I would add one additional thing, which is um, looking through uh, who's on the editorial boards of, you know, this journal and, and, and others. Um, you know, we started the top of the conversation talking about kind of everybody knows everybody in student affairs. Um, sometimes it's really helpful to kind of scroll through there and be like, do I know any of these folks? Am I affiliated to any of these folks in any sort of way? Have I heard these names before? Maybe attended a session that somebody's given. Um, again, to, you know, do that, reach out and, um, you know, contact folks and say, you know, hey, like, I'm interested in this. Can we talk more? Just like Marielle said, you know, of you know, can, can we connect? I think that that personal connection always makes uh, a big deal. Yeah, and I, I appreciate you saying that. And I hope this is coming through to listeners that um, this really is a collaborative team. And so the, the partnership and the openness to that sort of outreach, um, it really is fostered, I think, in the journal and, and with the editorial team in particular. Um, so we've talked about submitting. We've talked about what makes a quality review. What about getting involved? So Mary Allison, Ryan, you'll be looking for some new associate editors in January. Dean and I will move back into that role for a little while as we 
hopefully make an incredibly smooth transition for everyone. Um, but what, what would you suggest? What are things that you're looking for? And then if there are benefits or words of encouragement around being a reviewer for the journal. And I think maybe with that reviewer piece, Mickey, I'll start with you because I do know you have to step away shortly. Um, so what are some of the benefits of coming in as a reviewer? And again, you spoke to this early on in terms of um, staying relevant and professional development and things like that. But if, if you think of this as a recruiting pitch for our listeners, um, what would you put out there in terms of, hey, everybody, this is something that you want to do? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, besides the things I mentioned before, I mean, it just the, the demystifying the process and understanding what the process looks like of, you know, if, if you are at some point somebody who wants to engage in getting things published, um, you know, uh, and, and have the qualifications to be part of, of the team. Um, I, I think it's wonderful to be able to have kind of this like 360 perspective of what is it that journals expect and what, what, what do people want? Um, I, I think, I think it's an intimidating thing, you know, people think about being on an editorial board and, and um, well, I'm not this, or I don't have these credentials, I don't have these letters, you know, whatever that is. Um, but um, if, if you are a critical consumer of, of information and research, and you can make that connection um, between, you know, research and practice, we want your voice, you know, we want your perspective at the table um, and, you know, getting those multiple voices. I think that's what student affairs is all about, right? Is, you know, making sure that everybody is elevated and, and that we're not, you know, leaving any voices not at the table. Um, I think that the other piece too is, is again, reach out and make those personal connections and ask people, you know, have you liked this process? Did you just kind of do your time and go away? What was it like? What are the expectations? You know, again, level setting what that looks like for you um, to figure out like, do I have um, the time to make a, a good commitment um, to this journal? But I, I think it's been wonderful being a part of this uh, group and in this crew. Um, I look forward to hopefully a lot more time to be able to do this. Um, and I would encourage anybody who's interested regardless of where you are in your career stage and what you're doing um, to absolutely consider to be part of the crew. Thank you. I would, uh, I would agree and I would add too in terms of benefits of being a reviewer. Uh, I, I really enjoy reviewing and I think it gives me a chance to find out sort of what's actually on the cutting edge of, of research um, in our field and what's being talked about. You know, sometimes by the time you read it in a journal when it's been published, you know, it's a year or two or more since, you know, that study was conducted or that conversation was being had. So I think it sort of gives you an inside look, you know, kind of behind the scenes uh, before something kind of hits the pages of a journal. And I think too, it, it just makes my own research and writing better. I always learn something from doing a review and, and I look and I say, oh, that's really interesting how this author, you know, structured something or their writing style or how they explained a theory. Um, or their results. So I, I think that, again, just like, you know, reading makes you a better writer. I think reviewing, you know, makes you a better researcher and, and better scholars. And I'll also say there's a, a karma thing to it that I feel like if I'm submitting articles to journals, which I do on a regular basis, that I need to be a reviewer for a journal, even though, yes, we are all pressed for time. I think making time to be a reviewer, you know, if you're submitting work out there, I think is an important thing to do. I love that you said that, Ryan, because in Scholastica, when you do a review, you actually get awarded karma points. And so 
Um, yeah, yeah. I think it is about community. It is about us helping each other. And if you give that time, someone will give you that time or and your work that consideration. So great. Any any additional thoughts, Mary Alice? No, I think everyone um, pretty much hit on on everything. It's nice to get out and see what other people are doing, challenging myself, you know, like Ryan had said, for me, it's a, it's a professional development opportunity in many ways. Um, and then to not, you know, personally not feel like I'm in a vacuum. So to see what, you know, what's going on at different institutions, with different folks across the country and sometimes across the world. Great. Well, those are the end of the scripted questions I had, but I do want to leave some space if any of you have other things you want to highlight or talk about, or if you thought I was going to ask you something and I skipped a question, um, I'll just sort of yield the floor right now. Yeah, so I know that Mary Alice and I were excited to share um, that, you know, um, as you alluded to, Michelle, earlier that, that, you know, we're going to be on the lookout for some new associate editors and I think, uh, you know, we're gonna do some, some recruitment for that. And I think would be really interested, you know, for someone in a leadership position like this, you know, somebody who has reviewed, ideally for this journal, but maybe for other journals, you know, somebody who has both published as an author, but also um, been active in reviewing and maybe served on an editorial board so that they have some familiarity with it. Um, and, but Mary Alice, I'll, I know you had some ideas about uh, recruitment and some other process there. Yeah, so Ryan and I have talked about taking, you know, two general approaches to recruiting, general and targeted. So um, particularly for associate editors, ideally reaching out to our individuals who have been our very, you know, loyal, dedicated, hardworking reviewers for the journal. They know the expectations, they're passionate about student affairs. So that's really where we're going to start, um, targeted and general, but we welcome anyone who is interested in learning more about this work or helping us refine this work and make it better. Wonderful. Well, how, how about, uh, Dina, any closing thoughts as you come to the end of your term and I come to the end of mine? You can have some closing thoughts and then I'll correct them if you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, I, I mean, I don't know what else to say. I mean, I think it's been a wonderful um, experience. It's been a learning experience for me at every stage in terms of navigating not only Scholastica, but like working with publishers. So I think um, we're definitely in a good, a good spot. And I'm looking forward to see, you know, Ryan and Mary Alice and, you know, what happens next. So I think, I mean, I think it's just exciting and I'd like to encourage, you know, anybody who's thinking about being an associate editor or reviewer, just, I always like to say, just start somewhere. Um, Cause we could all, you know, you, it's just, it's just a good opportunity and a good learning experience. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And I, I think that's an excellent way to close. And one place to start is reading the journal. You know, if you're not reading it on a regular basis, that will get you familiar, sure, with the, the style and the kind of what the publication looks like, but there is some really brilliant scholarship that's coming out through the journal, and um, it, it does keep you in the loop about conversations that are emerging. So, wonderful. 
Well, okay, as we wrap up, and I, I know that Mickey had to go to another meeting, but um, for the three of you who are remaining, I would love to hear something, and it does not have to be related to the College Student Affairs Journal. Can be, you know, you get to choose. Um, but something from each of you that right now is giving you a sense of hope. Um, for listeners, we're recording, this will air later, but we're recording right after um, fall break in that little window before the end of the semester. And, you know, we, uh, we none, nobody gets a break, right? You're just doing different work in a different way. But the pace feels a little bit different as we get to the end of the term. So um, just to give some context as to when the conversation is happening. But um, Ryan, if, if you don't mind starting, what, what is something in the world right now in, in your life that's giving you some hope? Sure, so, so I um, interpreted this through sort of the, the professional work, work life lens. Mm -hmm. And I, I immediately, my mind went to the grad students I work with, masters and doc students um, in higher ed programs and student affairs programs. And I just thought, you know, they just keep going. Um, and, you know, there are, there are so many other, other things they could be doing, um, you know, in ways they could be spending their time. But it, it always sort of fills my cup to see sort of the, the, their hope and motivation and passion and how they're so on fire for, um, you know, making change and, and making higher ed more equitable. So I think that's something that, that always gives me hope. Great. Dina, what about you? What gives you hope today? Uh, I would say it's um, similar when I was looking at, you know, work-related. What gives me hope is just conversations with students, seeing doctoral students, you know, coming to the end of their dissertations and being able to make meaning and have something that they're proud of. So that gives me a lot of hope and the interesting ways they're studying it. I was like, I would have never thought of this, but this is just fascinating to me. So that gives me hope. Um, so yeah, that's what's giving me hope right now. Excellent. And Mary Alice. Well, similar to my colleagues, I thought about this in a professional sense. So uh, similar to what Dina and Ryan had shared, I think just seeing the, the work continuing. So the student affairs work with our students and with our journal submissions, seeing the work and the passion that's coming through about professionals really wanting to do research and implement practices that are helping people, that are helping institutions, that are taking care of each other, whether it's grief or trauma or in the residence halls, breaking up with a boyfriend, you know, whatever it is, um, the helpers. And I have to keep that at the forefront of my mind because the media, you know, and even some of our, our big journals and social media pages of, you know, our larger uh, higher, fair, higher, higher education um, outlets can really get inundated with the negativity. So, you know, keeping in the forefront of my mind that yes, there's a lot of people exiting this profession, but there are still a lot of fantastic professionals in this profession that are doing the work and are passionate for all the right reasons. And those are the people that I want to continue working with like you all. Wonderful. 
Well, thank you again to everyone, Drs. Dina Neese, Mary Alice Varga, Ryan Miller, and Mickey Fitch Collins. You were wonderful guests, just like I told you to be. So thanks for that. I appreciate you all very much. Um, today's Essay Today podcast is brought to you by SAXA. We thank them for their support. Additionally, this show would not be possible without my producer, Jen Lowe at the University of South Florida. Jen, this is a good one, so do right by the process when it comes to editing. Um, and then as we close, I wanted to leave with a quote. Um, and this is from Nikki Giovanni. A lot of people resist transition and therefore never allow themselves to enjoy who they are. Embrace the change no matter when it is. Once you do, you can learn about the new world you're in and take advantage of it. Thanks to everyone who is listening. My name is Michelle Botcher. It has been a pleasure to host this episode, and I hope you have a beautiful day.